looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. This brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. 
soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne, and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, I'm former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. All right, so just going to dive right into this. This is going to be something a little different uh, this particular episode. Uh, joined, as usual, by one of my favorite culprits, Dr. Mike Lano. And, well, we're going to do something a little different with talking about last night's AEW All Out. But Mike has asked for the floor for however long he may like, because for those who followed a business, and maybe even if they don't, may have recently heard of Miss Daphne's passing. And he asked for a moment to be able to, because he had known Daphne for years and done some photography of her and with her and everything else. So the floor is yours, sir, to say what you think you need to say. Well, I hate, I don't want to start on a downer because I know she would have loved that show. I know she would have popped big with Ruby Soho, the former Ruby Riot, leaving WWE if she was let go last May, I guess it was. And uh, here she was, the greatest moment of her life, as she said at the press conference after uh, perhaps one of the, well, easily the greatest pay-per-view of this year, one of the greatest pay-per-views ever. But uh, Daphne, whose real name was Shannon Spruill, I think that's how she pronounced it. Um, was a sweetheart. I actually got to cover her debut in WCW in 99 and shot quite a bit of it. In fact, I actually uh, gave lifts to her in my Jeep when they would come and do TV or pay-per-views in the San Francisco Bay Area, most likely usually at the Cow Palace, but uh, sometimes at the Oakland uh, Arena, which had a lot of different names. I would give her and the Spanish announce team, Pedro Morales and Miguel Alonso, sometimes Oberland and uh, uh, maybe one other person, sometimes an old, old friend of mine, even before her, who I've known since he started, uh, Devin Storm, who was Crowbar, you know, paired with that triad of David Flair and and Crowbar and sort of managed by her. and, And then her quite a bit at a lot of TNA shows that I shot, some Ring of Honor and many WrestleCons, Mike Bucci's, annual great uh, highspots.com uh, things. And she said she always loved that because when she was out of the public eye, uh, she really loved going to the WrestleCons and being around her peers and having fans come up. And it was thrilling for her. her this is her words, having fans come up and want to take pictures with her or selfies or autographs uh, and, and just to be recognized for her contributions. I mean, she became 
you know, she was super green to the business. You know, I forget what she was, 19 when she started or 20 with WCW, but could take some bumps, but eventually learned to do credible matches. And she was very open about her uh, struggles, her bipolar. She was really open about her being diagnosed with that and getting, she hated the term electroshock treatment. It was actually, um, it was in a way, electrical stimulation of various parts of the brain that may not be functioning or, uh, you know, causing the person to have highs and, and real lows. But the last couple of emails I got, like Bobby Cruz and Ring of Honor, who was a far greater friend of hers that I would like to bring on this show uh, uh, at some point with some of their stars, because that's another happening promotion, you know, everything about it. And she said, this feels like the territories now, which she heard about, but I got to live through them. And uh, many people are saying that about last night's thing, but I, I know she would love to see the women being so elevated and this mix of Hispanic stars, Hispanic American stars, Japanese women, American, you know, all of this coming together. You're going to see more women defect from WWE and possibly flair. Those are some spoilers here. But she also um, was very jazzed. The last two emails I got from Daphne or Shan Daff, as we called her, Shannon, again, her real name, was she was jazzed that in the month of September, this very month, she was moving into a new place just outside of Atlanta and finally taking some college classes she'd always wanted to take. So she was really jazzed about that. She loved the band Rancid, which was Ruby Soho or former Ruby Riot's entrance music last night. So she loved all of that. And I think she was pretty influential because, uh, you know, the former Ruby Riot, quite a few uh, women wrestlers, valets have sort of lifted some of, uh, I guess, wrestling's first screen queen. You know, we love, I love, I know you love uh, horror movies and, and that whole genre of stuff going back, you know, 100 years almost with the, the Draculas of the silent era. The but universal pictures and stuff. I had all those models. You know, I'm just turned 65. So in the 60s, about 64, I started buying all of those uh, Aurora models of universal monsters. And we used to talk about that stuff with, with her. She wanted to see it. So I'd send her some photos of my Dracula, Wolfman, Mummy, Frankenstein, Phantom of the Opera. I, I think there was also a uh, Bride of Frankenstein one. Um, you know, so all the cool stuff she was into. She loved talking about music and like Bobby Eaton, who I think I mentioned the last time I was on with you, she would bring extra stuff like uh, bags of nuts, you know, healthy stuff, fruit, bottled water and stuff. If anybody needed it in the dressing room, you know, they sometimes catering wasn't there or they didn't have access to, you know, the green area or some of the house shows WCW or TNA didn't always have food. So she'd bring that stuff, always thinking of others. And uh, that, that's how I hope people will remember her. She was like always putting other people before herself, only 46. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I know she would have loved and just popped and would have enjoyed that, that pay-per-view and all of the stuff, particularly the women's uh, casino battle royale and the, and the Joker being Ruby Soho and all of that stuff. So uh, I hope to continue that. I talked about her at length on a show Saturday and Sunday, and, and she just passed on the 1st of September. So let's keep her all in our thoughts. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, it almost feels like a good transition to AEW. We have a company where the promoter has a good heart like Daphne, 
uh, it's a, a true family feeling. You know, people are worried with these guys coming in. We can get into the the names. I don't want to spoil what we're going to talk about. But these three huge names were obviously CM Punk having his first big match. But then we had a female and two male stars. You know, surprises popping in there. Uh, or are there going to be egos in the locker room and all that? And uh, people have you know been blabbing. Oh, is it going to ruin the locker room chemistry? You know, from all the originals. Well, no, because I think it is true. These people say this is a different setting. And you see, I was watching right before we talked for an hour, all the different press conference stuff with Tony Khan. He's sitting by with all of his talent. And um, this guy is not your typical billionaire. He he makes himself accessible. He'll come up and hug you if he sees you at a show and recognizes you. He'll ask just fans, did you enjoy yourself? We're not going to see that from Stanford. So No, but before we get into that, I do want to mention, and I hope... She don't mind me saying this, but because I had reached out because of ties with for years, and this is going back to the early 2000s with uh, April Hunter. Mm. And me and April talk when we talk a lot of you mentioned bipolar and this, that, and the other, and that kind of thing. But anyway, you know, just from personal experiences, and I won't get into that. But I will say, because the reason I bring April's name up is she did a nice post talking about mental health and Daphne and everything else. And April's always been very articulate. Yeah, you know, she's a very smart woman. But if you have a chance to read the article or post, whatever you want to call it, as she did. Very well-written. End of the day, if you think something's up, please don't be afraid to ask for help. Well, you said, April, I said hi. April is a person I've been around quite a bit, but it's been many years. But very briefly, at the 2007, this was a fiasco fan fest. This was by first time, first and last timers, husband and wife crook team they fled with all the money from the cash with the cash boxes for the wrestlers and the mma athletes three-day thing they it fled on night two but april hunter was one of those along with ecw francine don marie people like greg valentine snooker uh all of these people where the the promoters fled with all the money but the rest on night two and on day three and we had police going after them they went across state lines couldn't be caught but on day three, all of the wrestlers came out, uh, did the signings. ROH put on a show, even though no, nobody was getting paid. They said, well, the fans aren't at fault here. But April Hunter was one of those. So this husband and wife team, they canceled the hotel reservations for nights two and three. And the plane reservations back home for many of these people. We're talking Harley Race, Nick Bachmichael, Snuka, Nikolai Volkov. You don't do that. Beefcake and, and more, Greg Valentine. But April was one of those that was having to sleep on the in the lobby on a couch for those last two nights. And I lived nearby, but I came and just hung with them to make sure that they had food and whatever. I was, uh, you know, of course, I got a bum check as the event photographer. And uh, if you ask people about that 2007 thing, so I asked April about that. But April's always been a, a nice uh, person, a great person in the industry. So it doesn't surprise me she was... Uh, 
speaking eloquently. Is this on Facebook? Where can people go? Because I want to go read what April wrote. It was on her uh, public profile that she put it, but I will send that to you as well. But it was just for, like I said, I knew April from her time out of Boston. She was working for, when I first met her, 3PW out of Philly. Was that that Jasmine? No, that wasn't Jasmine St. Clair. Yes, it was. Really, because she's been hitting me up for photos for her book. But we have a long history, Jasmine. And I like her. A lot of people don't. Uh, worst driver on the planet. Scary <laughs> person uh, because she has no patience if you've ever been in a car with Jazz. I don't want to go that route. Because you, have to come to, you have to go through my photos. You won't believe because when she was breaking in at the Rob Black's XPW, mm-hmm. she flew me down twice to shoot her portfolio and headshots just for wrestling. I told her her bump taking was the shits. She had to see Sue Sexton who helped do some training more than what like guys like Damian Steele, who she was dating and uh, XPW were doing with her, you know, sort of like the valet in, in heels. And if you've watched that show on stars, the valet is actually the star of the thing. The one who's like the, got the best wrestling mind, but uh, there's a, a lot of stuff at April Hunter, good people. And yes, one of the best. Others. Cause I was thinking we were going to initially do this tomorrow. I was going to reach out. Cause I thought it would have been great to have her give her opinion on Shannon as well. But I'm sure I'll be publicly talking with April again. Um, we can address that. Why don't, but, you, why don't you do something with her? And I could try to bring Bobby Cruz, who actually, I think, dated Shannon for a little bit. They were very close, much closer you know, than I was. I would get emails and voicemails. But I mean, this guy was talking to her all the time for many years. So much better friend. And if you can bring April and I could bring, we both could try to bring Bobby Cruz. I think we'd have a great show yeah, uh, it definitely a dedication there for sure. There's a few other people I'm sure we can get involved with that. You know, I was thinking too. You said she's not the only one that has taken her life. There was Hannah Kimura last year. The horrible thing with social media. There was that WWE female wrestler a couple of years ago. Uh, I think when she was working for them, she had blonde hair. And then there was this one in the '90s, an indie worker. So there've been four that I've been able to research. You know, many more men, but uh, Daphne is one of the four who WCW ex-compatriots, if you want to include Benoit, Chris Canyon, and Mike Awesome, the fourth, and there might be more. Uh, You know, we lost so many, but I'll I'll shut up, Jonathan. No, it's, and we can definitely, I definitely think we should do something with that, but we can plan that out over the next week or so, and we'll figure it out. Dr. Mike, I appreciate the kind words that you had to say there about Daphne or Shannon. And may she rest in peace. And as I said before, if you need help, please reach out to somebody. There's plenty of resources out there. I'd like to do a little 10-bell salute and a little ukulele salute that I had recorded for this intro. Before we get into the AEW show.
before we get started talking about the all out i do want to say publicly i know i said it to you privately happy anniversary sir oh, thank you and and i never have dealt with marlene but would you say she's automatically earned her uh, ticket into heaven would you my wife oh yeah, yeah. many times over <laughs> she's up with this because she wanted to do she's learning uh extensive Spanish, you know, trying to learn more than what we both learned. I got to learn Spanish through wrestling because it was the only way I could get wrestlers to pose and boxers and stuff in the 70s. But she uh, <coughs> it way beyond, you know, I, I can't do past tenses very well. So she's anyway, she had to give all that up so we could do our show here because I'm using her laptop. I heard she's nothing but an angel automatically. Uh, being married to you, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> but any, any, it's a wrestling, you call them wrestling widows because we're constantly, <laughs> uh, you know, away from them, people watching a pay per view for over four hours and the buy in show and all of that, you know, to where even guys on Thursdays, it's uh, impact TNA day all day in front of the tube for many. And so the women or the spouses, you know, whatever you happen to be, uh, have to suffer and put up with wrestling. So yeah, I think they're all angels. Anybody. So I usually tell people, yeah, I'm married to a normal person, somebody not in wrestling. Yes. So I guess we'll go this route. Cause I got notes from each match. I, it was funny. I went, like you mentioned, I had, uh, went to a local theater to watch and figured that was uh, quite interesting. And I, after I had emailed you and said, yeah, let's do something. I went into the Dollar tree next door of the theater, bought a notebook and, you know, took some notes and whatnot. So you, I know you said before we started talking that you had watched some of the press conferences, which I did as well earlier this afternoon, but did you get a chance to see any of the show? Yes. Yeah. I watched uh, some of the high spots from, so full disclosure, I have not yet been able to watch the entire pay-per-view. I watched a lot of the spots. I watched, you know, the ending of the Christian cage and Omega match, obviously, where first, uh, oh, geez, I got to go through my, my notes here. Uh, uh, Adam Cole, and then obviously uh, his real name, Brian Danielson, uh, comes out afterwards. And um, pretty much almost everything else. And the uh, initial 10 man that, uh, that was the opener instead of the, the women's uh, battle royal, which was super it's like every match was was great the only and i have some minor you know qualm things but uh this this was just the crowd the atmosphere the venue uh which is what i was going to ask you about where you saw it in a theater you got kind of that experience almost with a whole ton of people I'm sure they, they all wanted to be there. This wasn't any papering whatsoever. You don't get that with AEW because everybody is so into that. And it's a communal thing like we had an ECW between the booking team and, and the, the promoters, the talent and the, the fans. It's all everyone's a collective unit. So how was that experience with fans for all that, particularly the cage tag match, which was my match of the night? Yes. And... We'll get to that with the match my match with each of the notes and whatnot, but I'll put it this way. And I haven't talked super publicly about it, but Dr. Mike is aware 
that I was at the Miami show when the, the first touring show that AEW did again at the beginning of July. So I wasn't sure what I was going to be expecting with a theater crowd. Obviously, I knew the audience in Chicago would be hot because they always say Chicago, no matter who you talk to, is a good wrestling town. And obviously, people traveled in for that show and everything. But the, being in a the theater was actually, it was definitely had that AEW and independent show feel or an ECW feel. or It was almost like a live theater feel where people were hooting, hollering, applauding. Like you almost would have thought we were at the show with their reactions. Like Jericho, uh, the crowd was singing. It was just like an instrumental he came down to. Yep song but the crowd was singing did they sing to that or anybody else's like yeah. ruby right ruby soho's music or anybody else's music jericho's they sang the judas there and that was jericho's bandmate who played them down and the other one was and there was a joke but they actually did do it uh, i'd say a good portion of the theater was obviously singing to living colors cult of personality when punk came out that's just so amazing. That's something you really, you know, the only two that even remotely come close in WWE are Nakamura and uh, Finn Balor, but not on this level at all. I mean, Jericho's, uh, Judas is at the top, Punk's, and everybody follows, but they're all at that high level, you know, so music uh, is an amazing part of that. And you know, kudos to Tony Khan for, you know, buying, paying for the rights to, to Ruby's Rancid song. And, you know, I know you have to pay to that group is in Living Color for CM Punk's. Yeah. Yeah. You have to pay rights. And, the royalty uh, rights. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So and that was the thing in the press conference. Brian Danielson is talking about intellectual property. So he doesn't know yet if he's going to reciprocate the yes chance because that was WWE thing can't stop the fans from doing it as he said but oh man and i bet the where you were the fans were chanting yes when he came out too you know nice surprises we knew he was coming in just not when yeah. uh, you know and the next thing i think they'll they'll pop big for flair you know when, when that happens hopefully soon yeah that exactly but before i start with the buy-in match the 10 man but I'm curious to know, because you brought up about the music and such and asked me about it, at least from the theater. And you mentioned Nakamura and such. But was there ever a that you can think of that people sang to music? And as I'm asking it, I can think of the obvious one, because you mentioned ECW was Sandman and, and our Sandman. Yeah, that was pretty huge. Here's the short story of, of entrance music, music you know, real music. Gorgeous George was the first with Pomp and Circumstance. Randy Savage was a huge mark for him because his dad was a legend. He watched tapes. And so he used that when he got to WWF. Second guy to use music, Buddy Rogers, briefly with uh, Nat King Cole's Nature Boy song, which is most, you know, it's a uh, not a real peppy, uppy song, like, you know, Brian Danison's classic Valkyrie uh, song. I forget the uh, classical artist for that one. Uh, the third one, and that's when people started actually singing, Bad Bad Leroy Brown came to my home base 
my primary home base of Los Angeles wrestling in the 70s. This was like 70, late 77, early 78 uh, from Dallas where he was working for Fritz. He come and this was before he started working and actually finally talking on Georgia Championship Wrestling. When he came in for us and in Dallas, he was doing a crazy man act where he didn't talk. He always had managers. Like for us, he had first he had Piper for one appearance, and then it was Eddie Mansfield who took over. But he the music was Jim Croce's, the late Jim Croce's 70s with Bad Bad Leroy Brown. And the crowd actually sang to it because it was played on a loop. It took him forever because he was, you know, pretty big, 360, 370 legit to get down to the ring. It was a long ramp at the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles. My, again, my home base, second home base, San Francisco Shire, Roy Shire. Uh, and then after that, and you can tell me, cause I don't recall fans. I think they, they would sing, but they'd certainly get up. The fourth entity to use wrestling entrance music were the Freebirds in Georgia Championship Wrestling with, uh, you know, that song. Uh, and they paid, I don't know if they paid right. They must have, but eventually, you know, when it was WCW, they had to have Michael Hayes do his uh, his own song, Bad Street, instead of the, the classic Freebird, uh, Leonard Skinner music. Do you remember in, in Georgia Championship, were fans singing with that? I think they were at different times. Not all the time. It was certainly not on the level of what we would see. The biggest first step was the ECW music. And you remember Beck for... Uh, Oh God! Uh, his song "Loser" for uh, what was the name of that uh, that wrestler, the the uh, downtrodden little uh, kid, Mikey Whipwreck, and that was kind of pretty big too. I think the fans were singing to that. But so out of all that, I think Bad Bad Leroy Brown's you know music from '77, '78 in L.A. only, and that was syndicated around the country. That show from L.A. and then the Freebirds, and then jump to ECW. Uh, there was a brief period when Ray Candy under a hood on Florida and Georgia championship around 78, 79 was using a, a jazz instrumental called weirdly Superfly." Jimmy Snooker never used that song, but it was a jazz song. And I, I think I'd, I would see women, you know, boogieing and dancing to it. So there was some reaction, but nothing like, you know, what we've had since ECW. Well, let's jump into the 10 man tag. Did you see just the highlights of it? Yeah, or? just just highlights of it. You know, going after Orange Cassidy's hair. Uh, luckily, they didn't cut that off. You don't want to ruin or mess with that gimmick at all. Uh, the, the the thing that's troublesome for me, there was many guys who became stars or more visible. Ricochet was always an indie darling, incredible wrestler from Lucha Underground. And uh, um, let's see, Jack Evans and Angelico seemed to be jobbing you know so many guys came out of that brian cage who i already knew i already knew all of those guys sammy callahan from pro wrestling gorilla and apw and other indies but so many of them just you know ballooned and then they went to quite a few went to impact and then were absorbed like pentagon and phoenix to aew where they become total legends and phantasma jr uh is obviously in nxt but it bothers me in that 10 man that angelico is doing jobs and he he's one of the very few who's not getting enough shine jack evans is getting more shine uh, and flowers than angelico and angelico this guy is absolutely incredible if you watch any of his stuff outside of aew so i hope he gets utilized more i don't watch the aew dark i just don't have time i wish i could because i know those ancillary two shows are fantastic to the main ones of rampage and dynamite 
Are you watching? Are you able to find time to watch those? I'm start starting to, even if I'm going back and seeing previous episodes. But yeah, there was what I like to call haha spots, like when you had multiple people doing the submission and Luchasaurus breaking it up and all. But that group, that ten man, there's I found to be very like there was so much athleticism, even for what they did. It it's scary. That's a thing, too. They have so much talent. That's why they need these other shows. You probably need to be watching the Young Bucks online show because other things are tied in. There is just such a wealth of incredible talent. What I'm calling the Noah's Ark of wrestling, that is AEW. That Not all of them. You know, Abaddon, incredible, insane female. You know, she has her little moment and you don't see her for months because there are just so many people there. You know, Ty Conte's going to have some major stuff as uh, like Kat uh, or Chris Stantlander. And then we won't see him for a while. Uh, you know, we, they have to bring in other challengers to uh, Britt Baker. There is just, it's an insane amount of talent. And, and you see somebody like, well, I don't know. Some of the people on the, on the cards just were so misused by WWE. It's great that AEW has this magic Teflon thing where most 98% of the talent, you know, minus and Helico uh, are all stars. They're just all over. And uh, we saw that in the 10 man. And it, it's wonderful to see that everybody has a significant role. Everybody gets to shine most everybody. So I'm not being critical because this, we've never seen this really with any promotion other than ECW where everybody, everybody had a role that mattered. And we're seeing that in AEW. We saw that in the 10 man, everybody got their time to shine and it's tough in a 10 man. You know, everybody wants to get their S in as uh, Brian cage. That's his, his gimmick name on the Indies. People had all these shirts from Brian cage, get your shit in. And that's what we saw in the 10 man. Everybody was getting it in. Well, after the 10 man, we had a little promo thing. And this is one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about. Dan Lambert. I know. I mean, top was, team. What's that? America's top team. So they, they've lumped those two AEW wrestlers in with he and his MMA guys. But that MMA crew, those guys are incredible. I hope people know how awesome those guys are. And Dan is one of the biggest, wealthiest marks for wrestling. He's got more championship belts and stuff that he's purchased for pro wrestling in his house. It's like a museum. So what I wanted to pick your brain about was, and I know this would be up your alley as well, since you do a lot of mixed martial arts coverage and UFC and such. Could you tell the audience who Dan Lambert is, but also the gentleman from the UFC that were with him. Let's see. Let me bring my notes up. Dan Lambert, uh, of course, runs one of the biggest uh, training centers of, of talent. Uh, primarily, most of those guys are in Bellator. And Bellator is kind of the way TNA at its peak sort of was in terms of um, – when guys are done in UFC, they still have a lot to offer and they go, uh, you know, Dan will take them over and get them into um, uh, the, the Bellator group. And let's see, I'm trying to find my notes on that. Well, I have, I, as you're I'm trying to find that. I can't find uh, yeah, my notes of who uh, Dan brought with him. There. Let's see, I actually have that right in front of me. 
you have uh, Jorge uh, Massive, Massive Doll, excuse me, Muhammad. You had uh, Junior De Santos. Junior De Santos was in many heavyweight UFC main events. I mean, big time stuff. And, uh, you know, some of these guys, they don't run out of gas. It's just, it's, uh, it's sort of a young man's sport. So when they get like beyond, it's like all Japan women, they get beyond the age of 30, they go to Dan Lambert. They train there. He gets some bookings. He gets them primarily most of them into, you know, like Tito Ortiz, Dan got into Bellator. Uh, and, and some of these guys, when they're done, their careers are done. The top stars of UFC, uh, when they won't use them or they get released because, you know, they're always churning to younger guys. Lambert will help them out, repackage sometimes uh, some of the guys, either get them into Japan or, you know, the primary competitor of UFC is Bellator. So it's sort of like, uh, I wouldn't call it AEW for MMA. It's more like the old, uh, as I said, TNA. Uh, you know, some of these guys like Rick Steiner and Booker T and Christian when he first came in there, Hogan obviously and Bischoff. You know, they were done with WCW and of course WWF, but uh, they could go right into, you know, TNA and and still shine. So all of those guys, particularly Junior De Santos, you know, heavy heavy regular main event. He must have had five, six, seven uh, heavyweight title main events for UFC going to Dan. I know we can do a whole hour on that, but we won't tonight. It could be another topic for another day. But I should try to bring Dan on the show, really, to be to really get into that. Okay. A well-balanced MMA and pro wrestling because he just loves it. He loves the history uh, I think he's got one of Flair's robes. He's got all of these different belts. Primarily, he's into belt collecting. And we're talking original, not replica, not Reggie Parks belts that are made, uh, you know, the duplicates. No, we're talking the original originals. That's what nice. they into. But what I was going to ask was, and that'd be great to have Dan involved with that conversation. But since you have a knowledge on both fields of MMA and wrestling, do you like the mixture of cross promotion, let's say, of guys who've done one go do another? Well, I would have held off. You have so many elements. It's it's like how many different things can you do? We already saw that in, in Impact, if you recall, about three years ago. Dan Lampert brought in the guys. They had the angle with uh, Moose and uh, uh, I forget who the MMA guy was. Uh, but Moose was still a face, so it might have been four, where he went in and trashed Dan Lampert's America's Top Team. That's the name of his outfit. A huge place. Destroyed the trophy case with all of the MMA belts in it. Not, certainly not. I don't think Dan would have allowed him to trash the glass case holding all of his uh, NWA, etc., wrestling pro wrestling belts at his home. Uh, but this was at the, the gym and training uh, session. I, I, you know, because you have what they're calling uh, uh, the, the door, opening the forbidden door. And it's really just, that brings us into a whole other conversation on last night's pay-per-view. But you have all these elements. You have Minoru Suzuki, we'll talk about in a bit. You, you know, all these great New Japan legends, you know, one by one, the wrestling primarily uh, John Moxley. And, uh, and then secondarily shipped to Impact. And if you, you bring in Impact and New Japan and NWA, that being the current NWA of Billy Corgan, 
and, and, and perhaps maybe, uh, you know, some other groups uh, from, you know, like Mexico, where these guys are coming from, AAA. Uh, and then you have an MMA component. It might just be like too much of a good thing is all I'm thinking. But AEW is so adept with true creative. You know, we always kid and say, why is it called creative in WWE? But AEW is truly creative. These guys are brilliant. And you have wrestlers uh, offering stuff. In fact, at the press conference, you heard Brian Danielson talk about that. He worked a little bit in WWE creative. Tony hopes to tap into his creative mind beyond all that he brings as a, a wrestler wanting more and, and greater challenges and be able to go. And, and his big thing was wanting to do New Japan. That's why he's in AEW, one of the main reasons. Well, jumping on to the main card, and we'll get bring up more about Daniel and also in the press conference. I well, heard, I mean, do you think I, it's too much to have all of these different pro wrestling groups, you know, uh, sending wrestlers and having super shows? But, you know, I would hold off to maybe when there's a low period to bring in the MMA Dan Lampert guys. It's just almost like too much. How many things can, uh, well, I, I might be underestimating fans. Uh, appreciation for that all these different genres coming in and then we can have more boxing things we have more mike tyson oscar de la hoya type things uh, uh mayweather type things coming into wrestling too so we have all that we've got boxing wrestling mma well don't want to dive deep into it but i did see in the past day or so that since you mentioned his name that de la hoya got a COVID diagnosis so right. hope he turns out okay with everything and he was vaccinated, but he's one of those rare cases. That's why we all need our boosters and, and stuff like that. I mean, he is, uh, yeah, th that was tragic because he's got that comeback fight. He's had to postpone to probably December. Yeah, but hopefully he'll come out the other side, that's for sure. But jumping onto the main card, we start off with the TNT Championship, Miro and Eddie Kingston. And I've heard the name Eddie Kingston prior to really starting to watch AEW stuff, but I'm really liking them that just, and these guys were very physical, I would say in their match, but what did you see? But what do you, can you say about both Miro and Eddie Kingston? Well, the, the first two matches that one, this being this, the first match on the actual card, but then the match that followed two were really hard hitting. Uh, I saw uh, quite a bit of, of this particular match. Uh, Eddie has been, if you recall him only from his time in Impact, managing LAX, the old gangster LAX against Conan's new ones, the Santana or Ortiz. He goes back on the indie circuit like 20 years, you know, a little like Nick Gage, but this guy can really wrestle. He can do mad and chain. He can brawl effectively, realistically. He's an incredible talker. They've already marketing several versions of his D's nuts thing that he only spat that out last Friday on Rampage on TNT. So this one, I, and he, a lot of people are saying, I think everybody that was over, it's hard to tell who got, you know, I mean, obviously punk, but Eddie Kingston got a massive, massive pop. And he's one of the most over guys now to where he might even be loved more than Mox, his, mm. uh, his longtime friend and legit friend and partner. So uh, it, it was super cool. Uh, the stuff that they were doing, you know, really hard hitting. Miro 
so much diametric opposite of the stuff he was doing in WWE where he had to, you know, lay down, so to speak, and, and wrestle in a pussy style, which now that's all out the window. He's a total badass uh, in terms of his, uh, you know, the, the stuff that he can do, which is pretty amazing for, uh, he's a big guy. I stood next to him. I have some photos I should have brought aboard uh, at that WrestleMania 2015 where I had him, Bray Wyatt, and Brock, you know, sticking out their tongues and making crazy faces with their shirts off before the pay-per-view even started, uh, you know, backstage at the Levi stadium. So Miro, uh, and, and that, that match set the tone for the whole rest of the card. All of the matches were terrific, but the first two matches and this one in particular, Miro and Eddie, the mad King was off the charts, uh, physical wise. Well, I'm just starting to learn about it. I've known about it historically but i'm really starting to like focus on learning more about it and this is another reason i want to bring up for you for the next match or bring up with you but eddie kingston seems like he has a real influence at least with his style of early 90s Jap- japanese wrestling would you say that's pretty accurate yeah and i think the fact that he's just being himself He's so real and um, that, that style the fans love, but they also love him because he's just being himself, you know, no crazy character, nothing. That's Eddie Kingston. Any of us that have known him for all these 20 plus years that he's wrestled and, you know, seen him doing what we call the bologna blowouts in a car. All they'd have money for is a can of tuna or, you know, a pack of bologna everybody would share and that would be their dinner or lunch. And these guys, Eddie has talked pretty openly about sleeping in cars. He didn't want to use the little money he had on the Indies to pay for the hotel room. So he just sleep in his car. So I, I think that persona, which is him, it's not a persona and, and the style that he's doing and he, he can do all of those things. So yeah, he's a classic nineties wrestler. He's easily a guy who would have been brought over. Uh, he, he wasn't really, but he would have been brought over to uh, various groups. I think would have been welcomed in Noah. Uh, and some of the other groups over in Japan. So that's but, the stuff that he's doing. I think everybody's digging it and is into it because you ask these fans, I bet the majority know who Ko- a Kawada kick. They know what that is. They know Kobashi, Kobashi Kenta. They know Misawa. They know all of these guys. Jumbo Saruta. You say Jumbo, and I'm sure AEW audience knows. Very well-educated audience, as is... Uh, you ask all the stuff of Eddie Kingston, he can spit it all out, too. He's got a huge, one of the bigger... Japanese uh, VHS collections of anybody I know. Well, speaking of well-educated fans, and I noticed this last night, both from what you saw in Chicago, but also in the Cinemax era I was at, was during the Moxley match. And obviously his opponent is an NWA or New Japan legend. And an all-Japan legend. He's held titles in both groups. He was a triple crown champ in all uh, Japan, you know, post uh, Giant Baba, the Muda years. So if most people wouldn't be familiar with him, that might listen to this, you know, he was also a multiple time tag champ over in Japan for both companies and such. I think he was the, he was the first uh, IWBG, what's that title? IWGP. Yes, that he was one of the first to have that as well. So what can you tell folks about this gentleman? 
Kojima? Well, you kind of pretty much hit it. He's been around forever. He looks a little bit, when he was on Impact a couple of weeks ago, he looked a little older and slower than I was used to seeing from him. But one of his big things, but he was impressive in the footage I saw from last night. You know, he had it on. He was in front of a huge, adoring crowd, educated crowd, people fluent in uh, Japanese wrestling, maybe not fluent in, in Nihongo Japanese or kanji or hiragana speak. But uh, his thing with doing a zillion chops in rapid succession, he can like do 50 chops in, I don't know how many seconds uh, on somebody, you know, the flare chops to where fans can't even say woo enough because he's doing it so fast. That's one of his main things. Uh, heavy arsenal. He kind of is sort of like a, a, a Sasaki, a New Japan Sasaki in terms of style, you know, brute style. Uh, and uh, it, it's just good to see a guy in his aging years that can go when the, the time calls for it. And that's what we've been seeing of him. We saw last night and that's what we saw with his two appearances on Impact where they screwed the fans out of seeing an Eddie Kingston match against Kojima after teasing it, which was kind of, yeah. I don't know what the deal was there. Well, I appreciated it. The Kojima uh, superplex. But the other thing that really stood out for me in the match was that what well, I kept things technical, such as the cross on bar breakers that Moxley was doing and such post match. Again, very educated fan base. Suzuki came out and apparently he is or was a student of Billy Robinson's and, so, Gotch, and Gotch too, Carl Gotch. This can't be. That's who I think it is. I'd like to get my ass out of here. I'm afraid of this human. Oh, my God, Minoru Suzuki. There is no meaner, nastier, dangerous human being walking this earth as far as I know than Minoru Suzuki. I never thought. Look at them, kids. I never thought I would hear Kaze Nina Ray in all elite wrestling, but here we are. The forbidden door has been blasted open. He's been a shoot fighter. He's a practitioner of many disciplines of martial arts, but he's known in the locker room, ladies and gentlemen, as one man you do not trifle with. A student of the late Billy Robinson from the snake pit in Japan, Minoru Suzuki. I had breakfast with him one time in Tokyo and I was afraid of you. <laughs> so, and I, like I said, I'm just starting to learn the, of the different Japanese guys other than Baba and whatnot. But what's the biggest difference between Kojima and uh, Suzuki? Oh, Suzuki was in Pancrase. So he was trained mostly by Billy Robinson, but uh, I was at a couple of uh, Masakatsu Funaki. He was the lead guy for... Pancrase and Minoru Suzuki was the lead guy there. He was, you know, there was no heels or faces. And um, uh, I shot him training with the uh, Gotch. So those are the two lead guys back in 89, 90, 91. And that all came from the original Tiger Mask, the first, the greatest one that had the matches with Dynamite Kid and Satoru Sayama. He took uh, quite a few guys who were more MMA leaning away from Inoki's New Japan, and they later formed the super group 
uh, UWF, which had those, I don't know how many, was there four or five Tokyo Dome shows before the very first NWA versus New Japan one, March the 21st, 91, that I shot ringside. I'm the only Gaijin foreigner ringside because I work uh, for WCW's magazine, its entire run as a photographer, writer. But 20 photographers at ringside, all 19 Japanese locals, and then myself. But uh, uh, Minoru Suzuki was, uh, anyway, that that super group, UWF, split into four different groups. Maeda formed rings, Takata formed UWF1, Fujiwara, where the Fujiwara armbar came from, had his own group, Fujiwara Gumi, and uh, Masakatsu Funaki, along with his trainer, Gotch, and Minoru Suzuki, formed uh, Pancras, which, unlike Takata's UWF1, which was worked, shoot, wasn't a true shoot, Pancras was the real deal and the best of the four and the best drawing and the most legendary of the four groups when the original broke up. The original was out of this world, incredible. Ken Shamrock was there and uh, little Guido Meritado was part of it and uh, so many others. But I, when Pancrase would come to the US, I'm winding this up, uh, Bart Vale, who was a, an American star for Pancrase along with his friend Ken Shamrock, hired me to do PR and be the photographer in the uh, Miami area for all the shows that he put on. And the main event uh, for one of them was with uh, Roberto Duran as a ringside quote unquote official. The, the lead referee was in the ring. You know, it was more just to have Duran there to draw crowd. It was Minoru Suzuki against Ken Shamrock. And uh, another one of those shows was Funaki against Suzuki, which is out of this world. So Suzuki has this tough guy thing that he's been doing for a number of years in New Japan. He shaved his head or he's got, you know, uh, unusual hair stuff, depending on the year, uh, artwork with his hair and amidst the shaved head. And he's massive heel, tough guy. He's got his own group. New Japan is all about the groups as, as usual. And he's got his own group that has uh, uh, some American and European guys in it, but he's a total badass. So that match that's going to be must-see against uh, Moxley this Wednesday on Dynamite. Suzuki, I mean, you just don't get the chance to see him. We haven't seen him on American TV since New Japan had those shows on Access that uh, sadly were cut off about two years ago. So that's going to be a real treat to, to see those. So Kojima is more a pro wrestler, wrestler, not a shoot guy. Minoru Suzuki can be a policeman or a shoot guy and pop and break joints at will when he wants to, you know. Now he's in the twilight of his career, so he's just doing the easier pro wrestling than the tougher on the body MMA. And MMA guys like Suzuki have said, you know, they can only do a match every month or two at most. Whereas in pro wrestling, a guy like Suzuki says he can go, you know, nightly because it's not as difficult on the body. As tough as it looks, it's not just not as, you know, nobody's trying to really hurt each other. Yeah. But the next matchup, and I know you have been a big advocate for the champion, Dr. Britt Baker. D-M-D. And Chris Stanlander. What did you see of this match? I know you're a fan of Britt Baker's, but what do you have down for uh, that? I saw the finish. I, I was on with her. She passed my little test when I was on Busted Open with her when I was throwing out dental words and only a dentist would know. And her DMD degree, I think I said on this show, is the equivalent of mine. So 
east of Missouri. It's called DMD, Doctor of Medical Dentistry. And west of it is what I have, a DDS, Doctor of Dental Surgery. But she used the Dr. Sam Shepard, again, the thing that Mick Foley used, the uh, mandible claw. You're not really doing anything with the mandible because the mandible, the mandibles are on the side. You know, you have one on each side, right and left mandible. And this lockjaw thing, like right in the center of the mouth when she puts the glove on. So it's a little different than Mick Foley's or even uh, uh, the female Sue Young and Impact's uh, version of it, also with a, a glove, but a dirty glove. Uh, and a Brit is out of this world. Uh, Statlander, I hope, gets you know more airtime. I hope they don't just put her to the side for now that she lost and uh, got the submission to the lockjaw. Um, She's been on a roll, though. Yeah. And I I see, uh, you know, Statlander, one of her top finishes is the 451 splash, uh, area 451 splash. And uh, she, yeah, she's just incredible. I love that she's uh, the only female member in, uh, you know, that grouping of Orange Cassidy and the best friends, uh, which is getting better by leaps and bounds with the, uh wheeler who that addition too because everybody knows him from the indies but they may not know they may not have seen him until he was on AEW. so uh that was a, a great match too i, I kind of miss Sheeta as the women's champion because Britt baker is so over she doesn't need a title but she's the face of the company she really is and the pop that she got in her hometown of pittsburgh have you ever you never see wc or wwe do that where you know one of the heels when they're in their hometown they would just have you know, gets find some way to have Britt Baker, if she was in WWE, get booed. But no, they allowed the fans to revel and, and just go out of their minds. That was the biggest pop we'd seen in AEW until Punk got there, you know, for his debut, was the Britt Baker thing in Pittsburgh. It was off the charts. So uh, that was a gem of a match, too. I mean, every single match was a gem last night, even the Paul White thing that we'll get into. Yeah, but... I think, and you said this earlier as we were starting, but this next matchup, the Steel Cage, Young Bucks, and Lucha Brothers, by far, not only talent-wise, but just all aspects had to be the match of the night. I think Penta, excuse me, uh, well, Penta's outstanding. I I saw before AEW even started a couple of, you know, five years ago, uh, Cody Rhodes in singles against both Phoenix and Penta on the West Coast. They were out of this world. Penta, if you saw him in Lucha Underground, Impact is probably one of the most incredible, not just Luchador, but incredible wrestler of all time. The stuff that he's doing, Moscris, uh, Liger, uh, uh, the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, those guys were all trendsetters. This guy's just doing athletically stuff in a total package you know, bring Lucha and hybrid Japanese and American style and some British elements. I've never seen anybody do the stuff that he's doing. And he was off the charts last night. You know, in Lucha Underground, Penta was the big star far more than Phoenix, but starting with uh, then with Impact and now in AEW, I mean, Phoenix is just off the charts and maybe one of the best all-around workers on the planet. Just everything he does, the cutters and succession that we saw last night, uh, the, the super kicks are often misused or overused, but they were just fine last night. 
you know, obviously all four of these guys can do incredible super kicks where you don't really see that hand coming down on the, the knee to get the, uh, the audio, the, you know, the noise factor. And it just, it, I, that was a five-star A plus match for me. Yeah. And I'm not one for like the five-star and all that kind of stuff, but it was matched and I, I liked the different styles. You had the luchery, you had a little bit of the hardcore with the thumbtacks and the shoe and, there was just a mixture of everything. And you would notice as well, because I'm learning that style as far as I'm well aware Lucha with the masks and stuff. But it was the emotion in their eyes as they were bleeding and just telling that story to get to where they got to was just unbelievable. And and Penta, you know, taking the, uh, the shoe with the tax in it to protect his brother. We saw a lot of nuance elements amidst all this craziness and with the young bucks you're going to get a match with all kinds of uh, insanity high spots and that's okay you know it just uh, the people were popping huge um so that might have gotten as a match match the the most pops of the night so far and this is again easily the card of the year i don't think anything's going to top this unless it comes from AEW. it's certainly not going to come from stamford connecticut to top this pay-per-view no i can't think of anything definitely a must watch just for that match alone wait a minute oh, here we go oh my god here we go nick Japs is getting that cage like a spider oh the kick right in the face down he goes this is unbelievable ray phoenix still on top he's measuring he's deciding he's thinking about it oh my Casino Battle Royal. Yeah, it, I liked it. And I liked the concept going with the different decks to bring people out at a time. But the only thing for me, at least, that really stood out was obviously, as you mentioned, the debut of Ruby Shoho, who was Ruby Riot. Is, uh, I'm surprised she didn't go with... Uh, Soho is obviously from the song, but Ruby Solo, because she's not with her partner, who you look at her poor partner on uh, uh, WWE Smackdown. Smackdown, she's got the tears that she put on and, and she put on social media. That's, you know, when they let Ruby go, she put on the glitter, green glitter tears, and she's been wearing it ever since May when they, you know, they let her go with all those cuts. And Ruby Riot has done such an incredible job. I urge people to go look at what she's done on social media to get some attention before AEW hired her. And then last yesterday, or actually Saturday night, I saw the thing on one of her social feeds. Uh, Ruby Soho has gone elite. You know, one of those things. And uh, so I knew, you know, something was going to happen. So they had that AEW Dark where they uh, got Julia Hart out to make room for the Joker, which was Ruby Soho. And uh, to see her lock up, it, the, the thing, the only... I'm just nitpicking. These aren't criticisms, but uh, it, it would have been nice to see some of the talent really 
put her over when she got out there, you know, immediately uh, meeting Ruby Soho. This was such a moment for her. You know, she was crying backstage and, and she said this has been the pinnacle of her entire wrestling career and life was last night. Uh, but, um, you know, then to see her lock up with Thunder Rosa, those were the last two. That's kind of a dream match for a lot of folks, uh, you know, similar. So hopefully we're going to get some single matches out of there. I mean, just her in there, Ruby Soho, and the fact that she was so held back. She couldn't do a one one hundredth of what she's capable of. AEW is going to let her do all 100% of what she's capable of. So anybody that she has matches with are going to be off the charts, whether it's Britt or Statlander. Uh, gosh, that, that whole roster, uh, the, the Japanese women who are all incredible in AEW. That's going to be some great stuff. And we should be looking for Thunder Rosa to bring her friends into AEW soon in La Rosa Negra. And uh, the, uh, the other one whose name escapes me, who, uh, who was in uh, WoW Wrestling, uh, doing some really gimmicky shtick, Holly Dead. So those two worked for, uh, they all started, you know, in my company on the, the West Coast, you know, AEW, excuse me, APW, uh, et cetera, and uh, Gabe Ramirez's Lucha Group in the San Jose area. And they all moved to Texas outside of Houston. And that's where Thunder Rosa has her promotion or all women's promotion. So look for at some point this year, hopefully soon, her two best friends. who They all broke in together in California, Northern California. Uh, hopefully they'll be coming in soon. Holly Dead and La Rosa Negra. They're all equally great. And you pair them up any combination with Ruby and, and some of the other amazing talent there. Uh, it's going to be off the charts. So Hopefully, uh, Vicky Guerrero will get to manage some of them so she has a little more to do than just scream. Exactly. She's got so much <laughs> talent there, and that's a whole other episode in itself. But next matchup was billed as the final fight, but we know all, both know how wrestling is. But I will say, Jericho MJF, I've appreciated the, ex- and you don't see this much, the extended storyline between them over months and everything oh, God. else. It's been over a year, I think. Exactly. So I like that that slow burn. Yep. Well crafted. Uh, we had uh, a false finish. So I have a, a this was great. And, you know, kudos to Jericho for really getting this guy over. And now I, I'm saying now that uh, Jericho got MJF to tap, uh, MJF needs to take a couple of weeks off. They need to get the heat back on him. Don't just throw him in a match with Punk or something like that. Get some heat back on this guy because he's the greatest heel in the business today. He's the new age Roddy Piper. He can talk without missing a beat, without flubbing a, a single word. And all of his stuff is crisp. Uh, but they, what they could have done with the ref thing and the uh, when Paul Turner came out, he could have said, you know, I saw through the corner of my eye, I was out here trying to break up the stuff going on at ringside. I saw Jericho had his foot on the ropes, but you, you know, the female referee who's from, uh, I think Oregon, uh, Portland, Oregon. She was like one of the regular refs uh, with Rick Knox in pro wrestling gorilla. I see her and talk to her backstage at every one of the shows. So kudos to all that she's done. She's got, she runs a AEW's podcast and everything is lead host. But uh, when uh, the lead senior referee came out, Paul Turner, he could have said, I saw this happen. You are the referee of record. Uh, 
but this is what I saw. He had his foot on the ropes and then she could possibly to get to have MJF keep his heat and have the heat on him. He could have gotten into her face and said, no, 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 don't you reverse the decision. And he could have pushed her down, which would have caused the crowd to gasp. And then, uh, you know, Jericho, you know, could have done what he did or get a pin, but instead he made him tap to the lion tamer. And, uh, you know, she could have boom, boom, boom. And the heat, more heat would have been on him leaving, which is what he needs. He needs to get back up to speed now that he put Jericho over. Uh, I personally think we should be done. There should be no more matches for a while with Jericho and MJF have both move on to some other things right now. I wouldn't complain because all their stuff has been fun, uh, but both need to move on. But this was a terrific match, had a lot of elements, a lot of, I mean, everything. You talk about hybrid stuff, Jericho can bring, because uh, he's worked everywhere. He can bring European, Lucha style, Japanese Puro, and uh, we saw elements of those from him last night, too, even though he's a quote unquote older dude. But uh, he is the veteran, the heart and soul of this company from day one. You mentioned about the foot and the rope and everything. I would definitely say that was totally old school booking, if I may say so, and appreciate that. Oh, yeah, it's fun when done right, because I, I can't remember them ever really doing anything like this before meaning AEW in the two years. And again, this AEW is not the AEW we saw two years ago or even six months. This is a company that's ballooning and blossoming. But So that was cool to see some old school, dusty type, a uh, little swerve there. And, uh, and it maybe heightened the pop at the end too. Because, I mean, those people did not want to see Jericho not wrestle in AEW. Could have wrestled in New Japan. The steps were, he just would have had to retire from ring wrestling in AEW. Yeah. But he'll get to continue to do all the stuff he wants to do. And I think both guys may want to take a little break, particularly MJF, just to get his heat back. But Jericho is so multifaceted. You know, we see him continue to comment every Friday on Rampage. I should say Mark Henry's been improving. The first night I thought, that's too many guys in the booth. Taz and Jericho are excellent. Excalibur is excellent. We don't really need Mark Henry. Maybe he could just do the locker room interviews. But he's improved the last two uh, in terms of being there, you know, with a four-man booth. That's three-man is, is pushing it. Four-man is is pretty big, but, you know, they're doing well. They're gelling as they go along. Well, speaking of pretty big and being in the booth, there's this guy apparently that worked with Cootie Marcel being Paul White, the formerly known Big Show. So you said this was one of your standouts? Uh, not a standout because I was surprised they didn't have Anthony. I, I thought the perfect way to end this because the fans are sort of into Paul White. You know, they appreciate him being there. You look at the flood of people that Vince has let go. I mean, they're, they must be in a, an oblivious bubble to let Paul White, Mark Henry, uh, Brian Danielson, Ruby, all of these people, Moxley, you know, everybody that's gone over there, Jericho, all of them that have gone over. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, the guy from, uh, you know, the very end, as we'll get to when we get to the main event. But um, ask that question to me. I, I, you could tell I'm having a senior moment. I just forgot. What <laughs> well, I, what were your thoughts with uh, having QT? And oh, right, right. I hear I was thinking a perfect way to have that would be to have uh, QT Marshall, the guy in his faction, Anthony Agogo come and do that knockout punch, which was what the big show's big move in WWE for years. You know, the one punch, the mm -hmm. guy drops, uh, different than a Superman punch because it's to the face. 
and, and drop him and put over QT that way instead of uh, Paul White just going over on, uh, on QT Marshall. You know, so he's using that uh, African-American pronunciation of Marshall. Everybody knows his, his name is QT Marshall, but Marshall. And um, I, I think that would have gotten over their faction. You know, it wouldn't be another jobbing for QT and some of those guys. That's what I would have liked to see in the, the finish. So I can only give that match about a C plus. But it was pleasant because you needed to bring the crowd for most of us, an old school thing is before the main event where they're going to go out of their minds or the last two main event matches, you know, before CM Punk comes out, you have perhaps a little popcorn match. Uh, people can go to the restroom, get popcorn, or just kind of calm down and get their energy back before the last two great matches. So it was fine for what it was. I just wish the finish were different. The booking well, were a little bit different to, to get that faction of QT and his guys over. And I got to reach out to QT because I know him from when he trained at the Monster Factory years ago with, you know, a couple of guys like Matt Riddle and stuff who've come through there. And uh, what's his name? Luis Martinez. I can't think. He's the U.S. champ now. Oh, right, right. Uh, yeah, they trained together at the same time. The, the Monster Factory, I mean, I, I knew it from day one. Uh, Larry Sharp started it now since he's passed who's the head yes. danny Currently, cage yeah so a lot of history in the monster factory they produced all kinds of guys i mean one of larry sharp's first uh, guys out of there was bam bam bigelow i think bundy came out of there so a lot of great yeah. legends and talent and i can't believe i did this but no sweat i actually skipped the pumpkin allen match and I will say this because I've seen this a couple of times with Darby Allen because of his background. Did you see the match go or what did you just see highlights? I just unfortunately saw highlights uh, and the, the finish with punk. Uh, yeah, I was hoping, you know, but this is a case though, of Darby and we, you, I think I, I don't want to undercut what you're going to say because we've seen in Darby, a lot of his matches, sometimes he gets over more in going under or losing than winning the match. And he became a, a bigger star here. It would have been nice. I could see it going the other way with Darby, uh, you know, getting uh, the yeah, win. Up. Punk uh, pinning him. Uh, but, you know, uh, whatever. It, it's weird that they did that because uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, Bully Ray, on Busted Open a couple of weeks ago said, uh, oh, no, that's the last match that they should do. You know, uh, LaGreca said something like, oh, well, who should uh, CM Punk start challenging? And, you know, it, it would have been like all other different heels. But now he picked a guy who sort of is like a young CM Punk. I, I don't know if you saw any of Gabe Sapolsky's Evolve, but I got to see a lot of Darby Allen on those incredible shows. Uh, so packed with talent that, uh, you know, WWE used and stole or took. And uh, luckily, Darby Allen went right to AEW, never went to, through the WWE system of uh, holding them down with their ability levels. Yeah, but I was going to bring up Darby Allen's uh, cinematography that he's done, like for the entrances and stuff. But I would say, and I'm not going to sit here and claim I know everything and whatnot, but it just, and it would make sense beans that it was punk's first match in seven years but it just seemed like 
with what they did. And there were some physical spots from a uh, Darby, but they kept it for the most part, very old school, very basic. It was the pacing. This was a, a match that was different. That was the one thing from all the clips I saw. The pacing was slower and Punk did that deliberately as the guy calling the match and the yep. legend, even though you have agents, etc. But the pacing was slower to uh, protect him if, in case CM Punk perhaps got blown up or missed a spot or something due to ring rust. So the pacing was noticeably slower than any of their matches, but smart. And then, of course, it got going towards the end. Uh, you know, the elbow strikes and, and uh, some of the GTSs uh, that didn't quite go to, to falls and, and things like that. So a professional, professional wrestling match. Mm -hmm. uh, but it obviously did pick up steam towards the end, but it was wisely booked that way to protect CM Punk in his first match. I mean, you would expect that poor guy to have ring rust, no matter how hard he got himself in shape, which he was buff and practiced the hell out of and all that stuff. So it was, it was great. And then I like the, almost the triad passing of the torch from Sting finally coming out to shake both guys' hands, but he's sort of passing it on to like a young legend in CM Punk, who now is giving the rub to Darby. So it was like a three-way pass. Yeah. So it was very cool emotional moment for uh, most of us. And uh, I, I disliked it too. So it was very nice. So these aren't criticisms. I'm just saying, how, you know, maybe I, I kind of would have liked to see Darby maybe somehow go over. I don't know how that could have been done, uh, but it he did get over in the match, you know, even with losing, he got over. And this was a case with CM Punk of not working harder, but working smarter. And you mentioned there, which was obvious, at least for the trained eye. And I like to think I know enough to get by and I was still learning. But yes, Punk was calling the match and stuff. So maybe you can answer this question for me. And I'm going to sidetrack quickly because you have when talking to veterans or everything else, as far as calling matches, you always heard that heels call the match, but the veteran. So based on what you know, and obviously in this case, it'd be punk being the veteran calling the match, but what is the philosophy behind that? But also have you noticed a change in how that is done? Obviously WWE likes to plan everything out. But when you're looking at an AEW or anything else, a legit, let's go, the heel calling a match or the veteran, can you explain that to people? And have you noticed changes with that? Well, the preeminent guy who you would always allow call the match, he was a veteran and he was usually always a heel, was Harley Race. Uh, he led... I mean, everybody from guys who couldn't wrestle like Junkyard Dog very well to a Ric Flair who was just fine. He would be the guy that you would lean on uh, listening to the crowd. And if things might have gone south or if somebody breaks a finger or you know something minor happens that can screw up what's been scripted out, the veteran or the, the heel with all that knowledge of psychology, particularly a veteran, uh, I think that's still true, but, you know, stuff is so scripted and they can't break away from that script. You know, I, I don't know if it would have started with Randy Savage with 129 uh, stuff that both he and Steamboat had to, 
to memorize in a row and, and go over and quiz each other. Well, what's move 63? What comes after move 97? Uh, you know, we, we have that. And uh, I don't like seeing that on the indies uh, where the guys in the back will go over their matches to the nth degree. You, you need a little spontaneity and, uh, and stuff. I, I still think that's true. Um, it, it's usually the veteran, but also the heel because the heel knows both ends of the spectrum. You know, they're usually somebody who's done some face work too. Um, and, and a lot of the time, sometimes Ricky Steamboat was the veteran in a match, but he didn't always call it, or he could be considered the veteran, uh, you know, particularly a little bit later on. Uh, the thing that he had on TV with Jericho, I was told Jericho called that match. So, uh, or even in the, the WCW days, you know, a little bit later on, sometimes Shane Douglas was allowed to, to call things, even though he was far the inferior and far younger in terms of experience than Steamboat. So uh, you mostly see that. You see that a, a lot on uh, indie shows. If you watch the show Heels on Stars at Weekly, I recommend that to everybody uh, because it's a uh, – I had shot in the 70s, you know, when I would go – to see family there, particularly at Christmas, and I get to go to, it wasn't the Omni, it was the Atlanta City Auditorium. That was the big building for uh, Bill Watts, the NWA then, and the 73, 74, 75, et cetera. But I got to also go to see some funky little outlaw indie indies in, in these tiny little Georgia cities, and that's what this show Heels is doing. And they have the veteran, who's also the heel, calling the match, booking everything. He runs the promotion. It, it's really kind of a lesson in psychology and booking and everything else, watching that show. This guy's uh, one of the best friends, Stephen Amell, the lead guy who plays this guy on heels uh, every Sunday, but it, it replays all week long on stars. Uh, he's one of the best friends of Cody Runnels. You know, he played, uh, was a green lantern on that CW show. Yeah. I think the flash or green lantern, DC character. Uh, so this guy really is in love with the business and this is a tribute and it's masterfully shot, but you can learn a lot of stuff from guys calling matches just from this because uh, they have the audio right there. So you can hear the guy calling, you know, they remember that infamous thing in WCW. I think it was a, uh, a, a super clash or super brawl where Barry Windham, Barry, it was a uh, Barry Windham and Sid Vicious and Pillman. You could hear like Pillman calling different things out loud, which is verboten. You don't want the fans on a pay-per-view hearing, you know, Dreesop Kizik and stuff like that in Carney. But it wasn't even in Carney. It was just in regular speak. So uh, that's not something you want to hear because usually they'll tuck a guy in and they'll cover up their mouths and they'll communicate what they want to communicate, whether it's in yeah. Carney or not. Yeah, which is, I know you mentioned previously when we had a guest on about that we were talking about the uh, different speeches of Carney. So. Well, there's different dialects, whether in Japan, Mexico, Southern Kearney that Jim Cornette speaks is different than West Coast Kearney or Midwest or New York. Yeah. Uh, but it's a way of communicating spots. It's like Pig Latin. Yep, you know, exactly. Cornette is one of the guys that can do it the fastest, you know, just paragraph after paragraph, you know, boom, boom, well, boom, boom. Well, it's, and I'd love to be able to talk to Cornette, even though he's done a lot of interviews. But with his Pig Latin, would it always include goddamn? Uh, yes, <laughs> that's corny for you, <laughs> but to top off the night, and you've mentioned about Adam Cole and Danielson coming in, but 
you had Omega, who just I've been loving his stuff and really became a fan of his in recent times. He's been going through some hairstyles. When I shot him in PWG, he had that uh, uh, Kelly Osborne gray hair thing that was popular a couple of years ago. So he had yeah. his hair dyed gray. But most people remember him with the, the nice golden hair without the beard in New Japan and at the start of AEW. Then he got the uh, Don Leo Jonathan sideburns and the, the mustache, the, the weird uh, Ole mm-hmm. Anderson type look. And now it's just jet black. So yeah. he's going through a lot of stuff. And that's how we saw him last night in a terrific match. But you had Omega and Cage, two wily veterans. So from what you saw, what did you think of that? Sometimes it looked like the spots I saw, uh, the video I saw, sometimes Cage was calling things, sometimes Omega, you know, because he's, you know, one of those lead guys of the group. But Kristen Cage is a master of psychology. So, uh, you know, hopefully, I'm sure he had lots of input in what was going on in this. And uh, Don Callis, who might be right up there with uh, MJF as like the top heel in the business that everybody legit hates, fans throwing stuff, junk at him nonstop, no matter where he is. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a Christian Cage, and now we got to call him Christian Cage instead of just Christian, that uh, he uh, was able to counter a couple of one-wing angels, try to turn them into kill switches for near falls. And, uh, you know, Don Callis doing lots of distraction in this thing. That uh, uh, I, I would probably give it an A minus. The stuff that I saw, you know, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It was a thrilling match. Lots of uh, good psychology. Lots of again hybrid styles that both guys bring to the table. Uh, you know, Christian really hasn't worked in Japan or Mexico the way Omega has worked everywhere. Yeah, and, uh, he's just yeah, he's easily the top guy in the biz today. Like I said, I just recently started watching him in particular over the past, I'd say, six months when I started really diving into AEW. And he's just, he's probably got to be my favorite. Ran into him in Miami after the show, you know, getting ready to head uh, north to where out my next destination while I was down there. And it was uh, nice to be able to chat with him and say, hey, man, you know, I'm really enjoying your work. And he, he appreciates that. You you might want to look up, I urge anybody to look up some of his old matches. Like this wasn't a main, it was a smaller Japanese group, him against El Generico. Now you know him as Sami Zayn. But look at Omega, that match that I think uh, Impact ran, you know, they were just running. On Thursday nights, they, they have like, they'll show a free, you know, pay-per-view that people had to pay money for. I didn't always buy them so I can get caught up, watch old TNA pay-per-views. Then they have before the impact. Then they have two hours of impact. And then they have a thing after impact, an hour of like the best of Kenny Omega or the best of Kristen Cage, you know, when he was in TNA. But the Omega thing, they showed bits of that. I urge people to go on YouTube and watch the entire match. It's up there. And Omega's incredible. And this was years ago. So he's been great for years. Some of the stuff, I got to see him against a plethora of guys. Uh, Omega, Davey Richards, and, and Gorilla, and, and many talent that were on his level or actually a little better and, and brought him to that next level uh, where uh, you know Omega does that now for pretty much everybody he works with. So, uh, yeah, he's just phenomenal. Everything he does is so crisp. Dragon suplexes last night. All of that stuff, uh, Omega is... Yeah, he's really unbelievable. I mean, he's like today's version of Flair, but he moves faster and he does more 
stuff and more dangerous spots. And he's not as predictable, you know, an Omega match isn't always an Omega match the way, you know, like a flare match. They always had, you had those beats with flare. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're going to get this and the flip over the, the Ray Stevens flip over the turnbuckle of flare mm-hmm. from Ray and other stuff. But yeah, Omega is one of those guys where it's like Moxley. Sometimes you're never going to say the same match twice. Yeah. And I say the same thing about Bret Hart with his matches. You would have those same beats that, and I'm not knocking Bret. But Omega, I would uh, give the nod over Flair with that comparison you made because yeah. of what you said, because it's a, always a different match or different style, depending on who he's working with. And that's a guy calling a match. That's what the, the point of that is. So you're not just doing the same match night after night after night, the way you see with WWE, which you just can really get, you know, if you're touring around with them, it can get... Uh, boring for a photographer I, I can't imagine the fans traveling around you know that's like going to see a, a rock group in all the cities they're doing around north america and they're doing the same song set wouldn't you get tired i mean i know music's different than wrestling and it's it's great but if they're doing the same uh, song in the same order and all of that and the same encores it, it could be depending on the performer a little old but we don't see that with kenny omega at all well, obviously, match wraps up, and we had two more debuts, both with Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. Can now, you believe they let Adam Cole go? That is insane. They were going to move him up to the main roster, do all this stuff, and he and Brian Danielson, we're going to get into, they, they both said, no thanks, Vince. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I did see Adam's press conference, you know, and he was talking about surprised that his contract was coming due when it did, which led to everything working he out. The- beyond it. He wrestled beyond it without a contract. He still he finished it. Yeah. But that show, I would say that shows you the kind of guy he is to what the, when he said he taught the Vince and, hey, I want to finish this out with, you know, what they were doing in NXT. But and you, you would think you'd want to keep a guy like that around. But you see the writing on the wall. Well, he did everything he could possibly do in NXT. He should have been yeah. moved to the main roster. They should have moved him when those guys got stuck in Saudi Arabia and he had that match. They had to bring him up. A terrific match with Brian Danielson, and they never followed up on it. He defeated Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, as he's called there. Now he can use his real name. Yeah. Uh, but they never followed up. He should have been on the main roster at that point. He could see the writing on the wall. You know they're dismantling NXT. It's going to be terrible in two weeks. You know already they have some friend of uh, uh, the other con, Nick Khan, who's not related to Tony Khan. This guy's just clearing everything out to save money. I don't know if they're planning on trying to offer it up for sale to NBC Universal or some other entity, or you know because we all thought the kids Stephanie and Hunter would take it over, but. You know, to to shed all of this talent to save money to make it more appealing to shareholders or potential buyer, and uh, they're just so you see the sit down announcer guy. They don't even introduce the guy, and he's terrible. They bring him in. He looks like uh, he's just some mark that the friend of uh, Nick Khan's. You know, interviewing these guys the last two weeks, and and the lesser known green talent are the ones that are going to be showcased. So. Adam Cole saw the writing on the wall, as have other talent that have either left of their own or about to leave or were let go, which is insane. Uh, And obviously, 
two things with this to wrap up with is obviously you knew it was a matter of time in wrestling circles that Brian Danielson was going to debut. You were going to, he- I was hearing obviously at New York in a couple of weeks at the Arthur Ashe, I believe the venue's called. Right, but, right. But you heard with COVID concerns and you know, a couple of different angles. They, they may not even be able to do that. So that's why the rush to get yeah. these last two guys in, in front of a gigantic crowd, as opposed to, you know, if they're only allowed 500 or less at Arthur Ashe as a COVID Delta, that's not the place to, you, you're not going to get that monster pop that they had last night. And boy, pop yeah. after pop. But yeah, that's what I was going to ask. And obviously once word started floating about Adam's contract being done and everything, you kind of figured with his relationship with a uh, Rip Baker that he would, that'd be the obvious spot. Well, that's going to be fun if they do a mixed tag with uh, what's his face, uh, Nick and uh, uh, his uh, fiance, who they're mostly in uh, uh, TNA. And that's the cool thing about uh, Moxley taking the title from him after he took it from Nick Gage in the GCW. Uh, I can't think of that guy's name. He's the king of the action figures. Uh, uh, Matt Cardona. Yeah, Matt Cardona. finally put over Matt, uh, Moxley, so he took the title from Matt. But to, to see Matt and his fiance possibly against Britt, and uh, oh, that's going to be mixed tag heaven if they do it in AEW or Impact. Wherever they do it, that's going to be a lot of fun. But to put a bow on this, because we've been chatting a little over an hour at this point, what overall from what you've seen, read, and I know we've been breaking it down, but what are your overall thoughts well, I want to ask out. you, uh, in the theater that you were at, who had the bigger pop, Adam Cole or Brian Danielson? One after another. That, that's never been done in wrestling where you have a surprise, and then a couple minutes later you have an even bigger surprise. Wow. That, I would say Cole, they were both close. as Because obviously you heard, like I said, you heard the name about, Brian Danielson, it was just a matter of time when he would debut. So that was, he got a huge reaction. But I would definitely say Adam Cole would get the nod on that one as far as the reaction in the theater. Because, like I said, based on what was known publicly, yeah, that was going to happen coming over to AEW. But it was like, wasn't a sure I don't thing. Think- wasn't I don't think of Danielson. We knew Danielson was coming. We really didn't have a hundred percent on Adam Cole. So that was a yeah. That was a nice little. Wow. This is a 
So cool. After Ruby Solo, you have three surprises. So they've already blown away Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. You know, two oh, absolutely. And those were done out of necessity. So even though we think Vince and WWE is in this bubble and they don't consider AEW competition, they will when they start eating into their merch sales and their buy rates and other things and the social media and you know, regular media attention, like in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, when AEW starts getting, uh, you know, Vince has gotten upset when New Japan got a front pager twice in the last two years uh, in the New York Times and once in the Wall Street Journal, particularly uh, dating back to the Madison Square Garden show with Ring of Honor. So uh, that's that's when they'll come out of this bubble to not even know that they're in a, a fight that's going to be even bigger than what they went through with WCW, you know, the two years plus or whatever it was of beating them in the Monday night war ratings. Uh, this is going to be interesting. And uh, it's with a promotion that's better organized. You're not going to have the inmates running the asylum in AEW the way they did in WCW. So yeah. whether Vince will recognize it or not, he has to know he's got a, a fight on his hands and it's no longer cool. WWE you know, for those that were at SummerSlam a couple of weeks ago, they said the vibe and those who were there physically that I talked to and people there last night. So they were at both shows. They said AEW just blew SummerSlam out of the water, you know, in terms of crowd reactions and all that stuff, even with those surprises. And, and they were they're forced WWE and Vince forced to to bring Becky back, whatever that was. And then the Brock thing to counteract what's going on with AEW with the CM Punk. And so now AEW has put it in their face yet again. So we'll have yeah. to see what WWE does this week. You know, we have to sit through and dredge through three hours of Raw tonight. So like most, I'm going to be fast forwarding that baby. Yeah, that's why I usually watch that the next morning, fast forward. Yeah, on you got to do that because you just fast forward to the good parts, the few good parts. Yeah, and I'll put it this way, and you mentioned it about blown it away becky and brock and all that stuff they weren't good pops and, and good surprises but these out there yeah. global scale yeah and you were what i was thinking was you mentioned about the as far as being in that bubble if cm punk a couple of weeks ago wasn't even though that was the, like they said the worst kept secret in wrestling if that wasn't a kick to your uh, nuts beforehand as far as this is a war last night definitely put it over the top and if the same type badly kept rumors are true you know can you imagine the pop rick flair will get you know as he did they treated him like a legend in triple a a couple of weeks ago when he was on that show also in a match with omega dream thing of him slapping kenny omega etc uh, so it can only get better when Flair and who knows who else. There's some great talent in NXT. I, that was a show I would never fast forward. I would really not fast forward too much of SmackDown, but NXT I watched in real time. I wanted to see it. I love that show. The years it's been on, uh, I won't be able to do that now. It's it's gonna. I, I hope it doesn't suck. But we see that writing on the wall. That yeah. It, they won't even have a cool show. They, the cool show they had, a renegade thing, was in-house, and they've ruined NXT, and they, they're going to continue to ruin it. And uh, so AEW, I, I, there's just talent in NXT and, and some. I can see within a year, I know Ricochet is going to go to AEW and be the Ricochet that we know. So many others 
that were so great on the indie scene. The stuff that they're doing, I can't think of his name now. He was the champ, the huge African-American guy that's so incredible. And they have him jobbing on, on Raw and stuff. Uh, Lee. Uh, Keith with, Lee. Keith Lee is an incredible talent. That guy should ASAP over to AEW, where he'll be, his talents will be appreciated. We saw, I mean, Hunter and Shawn Michaels carefully crafted NXT and, and guys like him and everybody. Now, look at Karrion Cross. He looks like he's wearing an SM sadomasochism outfit uh, now on Raw. It's ridiculous. The girl isn't there. The whole great entrance from NXT is gone. Um, that's another guy who should jettison himself if he's, you know, kept uh, out of main events and stuff. Killer Karrion Cross. Uh, so look for more talent in the next year that are underutilized or poorly utilized to come over and be appreciated and be amongst the, the many or almost everybody is over in uh, AEW. Whereas you know, I, I can count more people that are not over in WWE than are, you know, they were mistreating Shinsuke Nakamura. They were misusing that guy for ages until uh, he won Baron Corbin's stupid crown. And now they're, they're, they're putting him, elevating him again and all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, obviously, I know you've been doing a lot. Is there anything you want to mention that you got upcoming? Uh, well, uh, hopefully, look at your feed to see uh, uh, when we hopefully will do maybe, you know, not set in stone, but I would like to do a, a full Daphne tribute, maybe look at Hana Kimura and, and some similarities and and things like that. Uh, and uh, I don't know, just uh, keep supporting your show, Crazy Train Radio. I, uh, I should have some stuff in the works and uh, some surprises. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this magazine I helped uh, start, Fightful. Uh, we're not getting the issues out monthly. This is a physical magazine now, even though they have an online component and they've been around forever as a news site. But Fightful Magazine out of Canada I do my old Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, whatever happened to columns. I call it, where are they now? Because I thought I was stuck with using uh, whatever happened to. And that kind of made those legends. So each time I would interview a legend and talk about what you know they're up to now, what they were doing, if they're doing anything within the biz or outside the biz. But I just thought that made it sound like they're ancient. And uh, what, what are they up to now? Uh, where are they now? It just sounds less insulting to the legends. Because, I mean, I for years I did that column on guys like Saido, Masa Saido. And, uh, uh, I was just talking about Dynamite Kid before he passed, but I did an update with him, an actual interview, and uh, Sayama and all of these guys, Bugsy McGraw, anybody that caught my fancy and I felt like doing. So for these guys, I had to do one. Uh, the editor seems to like uh, brother teams. So uh, my first two have been on the Steiner brothers and the Rougeaus. You know, what are they up to now? Uh, Jacques Rougeau's got his radio show, which is a kick in the pants in English and French. So anyway, everybody, I'm just going to plug Crazy Train Radio, and hopefully we have some uh, some cool shows. I am tr I I know I don't know how many times you bring rock stars to your show, but I would like to try to do as I did about 15 years ago on the show I did with Evan Legends Radio. Uh, brought the two female leads of the B-52s, and I'd like to... Let's do it. I want to bring them on. You know, we talk about all these things. I want to bring them to fruition, but I'd love to bring them on and talk about some of the cool stuff they did. It's, it wasn't always punky. 
they had some amazing harmonies. They're like the Everly Brothers of, uh, of female singers. If you hear the harmonies, it almost sounds like one person is singing, but it's two yeah. most of the time. They're really beautiful artists, uh, incredibly talented. So I'd like to bring them on and have them review one of their albums, Bouncing Off the, the Satellites, I think was that album, yeah. where they were the predominant. You didn't really hear uh, the male as much who can't sing. He does uh, a sing-speak. They mostly did every song. And that's why it's my favorite B-52's album. It was great music. I've had Fred on, so, yeah. He's a character in a trip, too. I heard yeah, about Stern. I'll have to listen to uh, the show you did with him. But, yeah, let's bring the females on. And uh, and some female wrestlers are always fun. I'm, I'm trying to bring some legends you may not know, but these were main eventers yeah. in the late 60s and 70s that worked main events all over the world, including Madison Square Garden against Moolah in uh, Vicki Williams and Sue, Tex Sue Green and Tony Rose, who was Moolah's longest tag team champion with Donna Christianella. Bring those ladies on the show if you'll allow it. Uh, maybe one or a couple are all together and have them talk about those days and what they went through with Moolah, because we still want to hear those stories of yeah. the alleged, whatever was going on, pro and con. Well, best bet is stay tuned. We will be doing a Daphne tribute. And they're, like Dr. Mike said, we have stuff coming down the pipeline. It's just getting it on the books on the schedule. So thank you for uh, talking all out with me. No, no, no. My pleasure. I love supporting AEW. It's not because they're the cool thing, but this is a promoter. If you ever meet, have the honor of meeting Tony Khan, it's just a, a wonderful guy grew up the right way, loving the business as a child. He doesn't despise it. As you heard Daniel or Brian Danielson, I'm going to have to make sure I call him by his right name, King of the Indies against Loki facility, all these idiotic things. Uh, meeting Tony Khan is just a, a, an honor because as uh, Brian Danielson said last night in the post press conference and even in the ring to the fans, those wrestlers can use the word wrestling. It's not a verboten word. It's pro wrestling. It's wrestling. It's not sports entertainment. You can call the, those officials referees. You can call those referees by their names and all that other stuff. You can call it a hospital, not a medical facility. I, I don't know what a medical facility is, uh, but it doesn't sound right. And, and that's what Tony Khan is all about. And that's why I like, uh, I, I love it. I enjoy those shows. I do not fast forward the way I do with WWE. And that's that's why AEW is kicking ass right now. And they kicked ass with the pay-per-view of the year, maybe pay-per-view of many years last night in All Out. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir. And try to get through Raw tonight. <laughs> it's torture, but you know, at least I have uh, NXT tomorrow before it's totally ruined with the, some guys, Swerve Scott, and some other talents that are still there. Yeah. AEW both. Wednesday and Friday, full day of impact on Access Channel. It really is worth your time. You got to devote the whole day Thursdays. If anybody out there can find in the United States, if any state or city is showing either AAA or CMLL, EMLL, Lucha, please let us know because that's off the map. Most all of these uh, ESPN, Deportes, et cetera, channels stop showing uh, original Mexico City wrestling groups. Particularly, I mean, those two groups are are legendary and uh, they're just not on tv now uh, unless you subscribe to their streamers so let us know uh, please email uh, the show here and uh, let us know if you you've got that in your market because we don't have it in california or nevada or arizona or utah or any states that used to have it yeah absolutely thank you so much
Hey, this is April Hunter, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Woo-woo!